everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It's Friday, and that means it's Godzilla. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for The Rap and Slash Film and The Film Verdict, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. I write for Just Slash Film, but I do it a lot. <laughs> it's a numbers game. You win yeah. You win in the aggregate. Uh, the, this, this week... Um, I was asked to do one of those, um, Slash Film has a few just functional articles, like, yeah. here's, like, bare facts we know about an upcoming film. Practical Re- information. Dates, chaos, yeah, guys, everything in one place. Thing. Yeah. Foolishly, I said, oh, I can do one of those. I'll pick one, I'll, I'll write one of those articles from my website today. Mm-hmm. Turns out those things are, like, 2,500 word articles these that take, like, giant, a, these yeah. giant, because... And it was for one of the upcoming Marvel movies. Which oh, no. It's like, how much do you know about what this upcoming... Oh, actually, quite a bit, actually. We know because there's previews and we know uh, who directed it and who wrote it in the cast and all the rest. Did you know enough? Uh, well, I, I, there's some things I had to brush up on. Uh, I know one of the upcoming Marvel movies was shot by the same cinematographer who worked with Steve McQueen. Oh. So uh, a lot of really, uh, really impressive photography, perhaps. Fingers crossed. Oh, anyway. Of course, if you know anything about cinematographers, they can go anywhere. That's true, but... It's like it, cl- classics it, and trash. And it doesn't those, make them less talented. Yeah. You know, but we're not here to talk about Marvel movies. We're no. here to talk about uh, two giant Frankensteins wailing on each other. Yeah! <laughs> uh, this this week's film on Thank Godzilla, It's Friday is a little film called The War of the Gargantuas, which is a very loose sequel to Frankenstein Conquers the World. It has the same plot as Frankenstein Conquers the it's World. It's got a very similar plot. It incorporates some of the same characters, but a big chunk of the film is literally dedicated to there are these new giant monsters, and we're not sure if they're related to Frankenstein or not. Mm. It might be a coincidence. Well, so the movie is like trying to have its cake and eat it too. I, I love... And we're getting into this now. There's like so many monsters now yeah. in, in the sort of Toho-verse. That uh, they're not sure what they're dealing with. It's yeah. like, oh, Numa, oh, which one is this? Hang on. It's like they have to send somebody yeah. back to a room and they look through a book. No, it's not yeah. Ngiris. It's not yeah. that one. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that one. That's the guy who destroyed my, is my this, boat. Is this the giant monster that stole your boat? You get Number Godzilla. six, could you step forward, right. please? <laughs> Ba-boom! Ba-boom! Okay, step back now. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so, The War of the Gargantuas uh, came out in 1966. Uh, this one stars Russ Tamblin, who apparently... From West Side Story. <laughs> from West Side Story, from Twin Peaks, mm. from Cabin Boy, from The Haunting. Oh, yeah. Uh, amazing career, Russ Tamblin. Apparently, by according to all of everyone who was involved in the film, Russ Tamblin was an asshole. Oh, no. He, he completely made up all of his lines. He oh, had no respect whatsoever no. for the process. Nobody liked working with him. And the joke was on Russ Tamblin because he didn't follow any of the script. And then later on, he had to redub all of his own dialogue. He couldn't remember what he said. So we had to just make it up more later. Uh, so, haha, Russ. Hoisted by his own petard. He's actually a lot of fun in this movie, but yeah, apparently he was a big jerk. Um, the War of the Gargantuas, in a nutshell, uh, there are two giant monsters. One of them is green, one of them is brown. Mm. They fight. And they're. Okay, so in uh, Frankenstein uh, Conquers the World. Yes. Uh, Frankenstein fought Baragon. Sure did. A, a, a little, little, like a doggy-looking monster. A, a flappy-eared kaiju who burrowed underground and somehow managed to frame a giant Frankenstein for murder. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, so Frank, Frankenstein it, gets blamed for a lot of shit, it, actually. Fra- Frankenstein conquers the world is wild because it starts yeah. in World War Two and we have Frankenstein's heart and it like ends just up beating uh, in a briefcase. Yeah, like it's just, but it, it lives and uh, evidently it, like escapes Nazi control and then just grows into a whole person. Well, I guess it, it's it, like uh, the, the 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 bomb that fell on Hiroshima hmm. uh, lands directly on the heart. And then and irradiates it, and then it radiates it, and then gradually the heart. Must have, I imagine it must have been like Hellraiser, just gradually grew mm. into a person. Yeah, and then that person just kept growing because they kept they, feeding it, and they it. fed it protein. Meanwhile, Baragon was out like wreaking havoc in the countryside. Yeah, and Frankenstein gave him the slip, and they couldn't tell like who was damaging these cities, which monster yeah. it was. And Frankenstein thought, was just living off in the woods trying to not bother anybody. And like, everyone assumed like, Frankenstein was killing people. So, so they tried to kill Frankenstein. over here, but there's damage over here. What do we do? Uh, and that's the plot of this one too. Yeah. Um, but this time, instead of Baragon, it's a second Frankenstein. And the Frankensteins don't look like Frankensteins. No. They look like big... They look like the aliens from Earth Girls Are Easy. That's exactly uh, what I was thinking they look like. There's this really <laughs> bright, colorful, covered in fur, weird face makeup... Mm. It's not a bad look. It's a fun look for oh, a giant actually, monster. I actually really like the way the yeah. monsters look in this movie. Yeah, in fact, this mo- this movie is actually incredibly popular in ways I did not know. Like, it's well, weirdly influential. Like, Tim Burton was influenced oh, by this yeah, movie. Yeah. This, one, um, this is one of the ones that's usually cited as, like, one of the stranger, campier ones when people yeah. talk about sort of the, the kaiju yeah, uh, genre. Yeah. Uh, Guillermo del Toro was a huge fan of this movie, mm-hmm. and you can really see it. If you watch this in Pacific Rim back-to-back, you'll see that like the big climactic fight in the middle of a giant city is very much like that mm-hmm. one kaiju versus uh, uh, Jaeger fight in Pacific Rim in the middle of uh, the middle of a big neon city. Oh, yeah. There's even a bit in both films where uh, one of the monsters grabs a giant boat and uses it as a club. Mm-hmm. Very similar. Quentin Tarantino was a fan of this movie's aesthetic. This movie has, when they go to Tokyo, uh, a very kind of... It it looks good, but it's still fake-looking sort of Tokyo model exterior. And that's something that Quentin Tarantino apparently intentionally evoked in the like Flight of the Bumblebee sequence in Kill Bill Volume 1. He wanted to make Tokyo look a little fake. Um, So, yeah, this, this weirdly has a legacy. And honestly, watching it... I'm not surprised. It's not my favorite or anything that we've seen, mm. but what it is is very visually distinctive. There's mm. a lot of images in this movie that really stand out. There's this incredible shot, and we'll go we'll talk you through the plot as we always do, but like there's this incredible shot where like fishermen are like looking in the water and then you see this giant oh, like, monster under, under the underneath water, the rippling like, water looking up at there's, them and it's really eerie. There's something know? we don't get a lot with these kaiju movies and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing because mm. I I am completely delighted watching Guys in rubber suits roll around on these miniature sets. Yeah, uh, but it not since the first film have we really gotten a good sense of how big the monsters are. There's there's the actual scale. The occasional the They're, occasional uh, shot or moment, notwithstanding, it's, it's yeah. it it doesn't really feel. You don't get a sense of awe and wonder yeah, like, all the time. Uh, like there was a, a really wonderful shot in Mothra v Godzilla mm-hmm. where. Um, Mothra's egg was up on the beach. It was just a matte painting, but they bothered to put it in this wide shot and have a bunch of people standing in a circle around it that made made that egg seem really big. I thought they did a really Uh, good job of that in, like, the second half of Rodan, 
where Rodan was like destroying cities and things, and they just they shot it in just good angles, yeah. destroyed things in just the right kind of slow mo that really it's, made yeah. it feel really huge. It's, you know? it's rare because you know the special effects really like weren't there to convincingly at the yeah. time to make put people and monsters in the shot at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, unless it like in this movie. Yeah, there's a bit where one of the Frankenstein's grabs a singer off of a stage uh. and and eats it. It's the singer. Oh no, um, it's not the singer. It's the person at the uh, the singer person. He just drops. Oh, that's right. He drops. But he, but that's the, right. he, he picks, picks up something up at an airport. And uh, yeah. and we and there's like a, a shot of the monster holding like what's clearly a little doll. Yeah. And drops the doll. Uh, it's not that convincing. And but there's, but and there's it, also in a the shot moments, of the singer though, in, in. There's a cool cool shot of the singer in Frankenstein's hand. Yeah. Like a, the King Kong shot. Yeah, uh, and and like the camera's zooming in, so it looks like she's being raised toward the camera. There's a lot of really good shots in this movie of monsters really far in the background, but still looking huge. Mm. Like we get these very, very bi- a lot of depth of field where you see like an entire like plane or like P L A I N or like an entire like airport like really mm. far back, and then because you get a sense of like. Here are the things in the foreground. That's how big they are in reality. And then we see them all the way far back. And then when you see a giant guy in a furry suit looming over that really tall, you really get a sense of how big that is. Mm-hmm. And like how like that would really scare the shit out of you if there were something that big mm-hmm. looked that big that far away. Mm-hmm. And good job. Honestly, I really like, if, if, if nothing else about this movie, I'm not the hugest fan of this one, but it's fun. I really like the way this one was shot. This yeah. is a very good-looking kaiju movie. It's colorful. It's got interesting mm-hmm. shots. It understands like it, it's. I mean, it's it's a uh, uh, it's it's a Shiro Honda again. Like mm-hmm. he just he just feels like he's like still experimenting well, and it, still finding like new ways to know, do um, the same stuff. Which is uh, weird because Ishiro Honda was in kind of a, a bad spot with this movie. Yeah, uh, his contract had run out. Uh, Ishida Honda, I, I don't know what the contract was, but he, uh, you know, he had a deal with the studio. He had a deal with the studio that he could make like 10, 15 movies, whatever. It was like a 10 film deal. Yeah, that was more and common it, back then. And uh, it had run out, then. and they refused to renegotiate a new contract with him. So he actually had to go back film after film after this. Yeah, pitch and pitch each, film each single one, yeah. which has got to be a big old pain in the ass after you've already done like. Especially someone as prolific as a Shiro yeah. Honda. He doesn't make one movie a year. Like, he was like cranking them out. So. And, and we're not even watching his whole filmography. No, he wasn't just it feels doing these like it, but we're not. <laughs> yeah, no, he was. He was a machine. Yeah. I have so much respect for Ushiro Honda's work ethic. Like, he cranked them out. And, and you know, these these monster movies, even at the time, they were considered kind of cheap. Yeah. Uh, you know, these sort of cheap monster entertainments. Uh, but it doesn't feel like he's not, like, throwing them off. He just mm. knows what he's doing. He just goes yeah. in, this is how I make this movie, this is what I do. I feel like... Um, a huge number of movies are still being made, but you don't really hear about those filmmakers anymore because they're all on like Tubi now. Mm. Uh, you can probably yeah. go to like a Tubi movie with the word exorcism or shark in the title and discover that the filmmaker has made like eight films this year. Yeah. And they're all, you know, low quality. The Tubi same year, uh, the same year Shiro Honda uh, directed the war of the gargantuas. He also released a, well, I, 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 not a lot of information online, so I'm not sure how readily available it was in America, like how much is in English. But uh, apparently what sounds like a ro- like a romantic love triangle comedy called Come Marry Me. Okay. Just cranking him out. Good for him. Um, so, yeah. So the, the movie opens great. Hmm. I actually love... I was on board... Because sometimes these movies open really slow. Or really, like, familiar. And yeah. this one gets right fucking to it. We're in the boat. 
It's in the middle of like a rainy night, and there's a guy, and he's like in like that front section of the boat with like that wheel that you you drive it with, you know, the driving he's wheel. He's on the bridge with the helm. Look, Whitney, not everything is about Star Trek. Okay, Star not Trek everything. Is naval terms. It's just a boat. No, dude, I I get that you. He's want... at the helm. That big that big boat steering thing. It's no, the helm. Ortegas is at the helm. The pilot seat is Look, her realm. In Star Trek, they have these little tap panels. All right, yeah. it's not a big turny wheel so that's why it's not the same thing it's exactly you agree a, with me it's not turning a rudder in the back of the ship exactly so it can't be the bridge so anyway oh my God. bridge to what whitney anyway bridge to terabithia <laughs> that's a bridge too far for me <laughs> oh my god people listen to this show <laughs> like why Hey, thanks, for, thanks for joining us for Thank our terrible you. puns. Oh my god. And not even puns, just bridge references. None of this is scripted. Uh, you can tell, right? <laughs> really? None of this is scripted? <laughs> really? It seems so tight and well rehearsed. It's practically a... Uh, thank you, Ben so, and Whitney, uh, for letting us laugh about love. A again. big monster comes out of the water, <laughs> well, and, no, it's, and it's also an octopus. No, no, no the, the octopus, octopus comes first. first. There's a guy, he's on the... He's, he's fighting, on, fighting a tentacle. I'll, I'll play your little game. He's on the bridge... Thank you. Uh, and he's he's driving the wheel thingy, and all of a sudden you just see a giant tentacle, and it looks good too. It's wet. It's kind of moving around in like it's, a somewhat unnatural way. It's, like a, it's clearly being suspended by strings, but it's a cool. Look, but they yeah. made it so that because a lot of like fake tentacle type stuff in this era just looks like there's a thing on a string. They they've got they've got it down. It looks pretty convincing, and there's a tentacle like sneaking up on him. And then it grabs him, and there's this giant octopus. Remember the giant octopus from the end of Frankenstein? Here it is again. It grabs the guy, and he's trying to pull him out, and he's screaming. It's kind of scary, actually. It's like some theremin-type music playing. I like to think it's the same octopus. I think it is the same octopus. And then, uh, all of a sudden, the guy miraculously is saved by a giant, green, hulking monster covered in fur that swoops out of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Starts kicking the shit out of the... This movie is like four minutes in, by the way. A giant monster is kicking the shit out of this octopus. It's just like, you ruined the ending of Frankenstein Conquers the World. Where were you from? What's your deal, man? Kills the octopus. And then you think for a second, oh, this guy has been saved by this kind kaiju. And then he starts smashing the boat. <laughs> and this guy watches the shore and... He's, he's in the hospital, and he's talking about a monster. Oh, this is... Actually, this is worth noting, actually. Um, up until now, pretty much all the movies we've been reviewing have been available in Japanese with English subtitles, and we've mostly been covering those. Mm. This one, the only version that was on Criterion, the only version that was yeah, on Tubi yeah. was an English dub. So that might affect... It's my understanding, based on my research, that the American version is very similar to the Japanese version in terms of plot and story and everything. Uh, however, it, that might affect how we describe the plot. Yeah. And uh, if there's a difference, we are unaware of it. And we'd love to hear from you. Please let us know if you know something about the Japanese version that might be different. We'd like to hear it. Anyway, the guy watches up ashore. And of course, the police are interested and I love how blasé the police are about this, too. It's like, oh, so this guy washed up on shore, right? Yeah, mm. well, he's probably the only survivor. Are you going to check? No, it's probably. It's, it's probably close, fine. Yeah. And the guy's like, it was a giant monster. And they're like, come on, tell the truth. And, he's, and, he, and I love that the guy even says, wouldn't I make up a plausible lie? 
If I was going to lie, wouldn't I, wouldn't I say something like, ah, oh, there was a hole in the boat or we hit a rock? Like, we, I would totally have gotten away with that. I'm telling you there's a giant monster because there is a giant monster. It's the 1960s. There are giant monsters everywhere out there. Why are you even weirded out by this? How dare you? Anyway, they start uh, searching around. Turns out there is a giant monster and he's in the water. And everyone's like, oh shit, look at that giant monster. He's really big and he's attacking people. And everyone's first thought is, is this another fucking Frankenstein? <laughs> and so they go find the scientists from the first movie. Uh, the, the, the American is now played by Russ Tamblyn. They go find the scientists from the first movie and it was like, did you Frankenstein again? And they're like, no. No, he died. Frankenstein died. That is not our Frankenstein. And, and we and, get a... F- well, they, they even say, even if he lived... He, he wouldn't do... We, he's a good guy. He, he wouldn't a, he, do that. Yeah. yeah. Which, admittedly, all evidence points to he wouldn't. Yeah. He never actually consciously hurt a human being mm-hmm. in that movie. Frankenstein was, as I think is true for most good Frankenstein movies, a pretty benevolent creature, except maybe towards the asshole who created it and abandoned it. Mm. Um, so they're right about that. But they're saying, like, this guy is attacking people. Our Frankenstein would never do that. This is some other thing. And then they realize after the, everyone, all the reporters leave, it's like, they're going to give a shit for this. We should probably find out what's up with this giant monster. So they decide to research the giant monster and try to figure out what's up with the giant monster. And that the, by this point, the giant monster is like running around, like attacking airports and really fucking them up too. Oh, yeah. Like, really tearing them to pieces. Grab, we mentioned before, he grabs a woman from inside a building. And, and I don't know, like... I, I don't know, like, why he thinks this is, this is like, snack time. Like, I don't know. If I found, like, <laughs> if I, like, opened up, like, if I was, like, mad and, like, really, like, full of violent rage and I, like, punched through a wall and I saw that there were, like, a whole bunch of, like, cockroaches in there, mm-hmm. I wouldn't think to myself, well, that one looks pretty good. Let's, tr- let's try it. Like, no! Dude. Have some decorum. <laughs> anyway, he he eats her. He puts her in his mouth. Yep. And then he spits her out like, Pugh. And he's like, I, I'm pretty sure she's quite dead. But that's really quite violent, actually, for a lot of these monsters. You never actually see Godzilla pick someone up and bite him in half. It, it's rare. Godzilla doesn't eat people. Godzilla's yeah. not an eat monster. And that's actually something that's always uh, bothered me about a lot of... <laughs> I was like, like, can we just get a a t-shirt that says Godzilla Godzilla, is not an eat monster? Godzilla is not an eat monster. (laughs) But your question is, what does he eat? Well, he doesn't need to eat. He's powered Powered by by radiation. radiation. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So he's fine. He doesn't need to intake uh, any sustenance. Yeah, Um, he's he's basically magic, yeah. But in in a lot of monster movies, and a lot of animal attack movies, Mm. why are the animals always hungry? Like... Mm -hmm. Jurassic Park. Why did the dinosaurs need to constantly eat people? Mm-hmm. It's like, why did it go after the lawyer? It just ate a goat. Uh, there's actually. If did you ever read the the Michael Crichton's novel sequel, no, The Lost I, World? I just Th- that's, I just saw the movies. That that novel, this the the Lost World Jurassic Park, the one that Michael Crichton actually no. wrote, uh, is way better than the movie they made out of it, and it's full mm-hmm. of really fun stuff. Uh, and um, one of the things they explain is, like their metabolisms are they, high, so they they, need they to explain eat. some of the assumptions that were made even by the characters in Jurassic Park mm-hmm. and why they were wrong. So there's a part where this one guy from like you know the evil corporation he's trying to steal a tyrannosaur egg, and he's a tyrannosaur sees that he's doing this and he freezes. You know like you know they their vision is based on movement. Mm-hmm. 
And then people are like watching this through like a security camera. And they're like, why is he not moving? Oh, because he believed that idiot Grant's idea about their vision being based on movement. <laughs> that was the stupidest. Why did, he, why did he think that? That makes no sense whatsoever. And it turns out that the reason why he chased the lawyer hmm. uh, was... The, the, well, he chased Ian Malcolm because he ran. Oh, he had the flare. He, he distracted him and ran. He made a game of it. Oh, okay. He wasn't actually hungry. That's the whole thing. He was he was still a danger. Like he was still but he was what was he doing with that car? He was playing with the car. He'd put it upside down, he was spitting it. He was playing. Oh, okay. So he chased after Malcolm and he knows he he bit Malcolm, but he didn't like eat him. Uh-huh. And then when he destroyed the thing, there was a guy who was very, very loud. He probably ate the lawyer because either A, he's very loud, that's very annoying, stop that. Or B, eh, lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that book is interesting, actually. It's actually like you can tell them there's, there's this really fun bit in the Lost World of Jurassic Park, the book, where they do the scene from the first movie where there are velociraptors at the door and all the adults are trying to like hold the door back. Uh-huh. And instead of handing the adults or even just kicking the gun to the adults, they like the kids like wait a really long time to hack into a computer. And there's a bit in the Lost World Jurassic Park, the book, where the exact same thing is happening. The Velociraptors are at the door, mm. and they're like, oh, we gotta hack into this computer and get into the security system. And then they're like, wait, no, we don't. And then they just follow, like, the power cord from the computer because it's gotta have its own, like, dedicated like, okay, power yeah. supply room and just kick down that wall and just climb into another room. <laughs> it's basically Michael Crichton pointing at the movie and going, well, that was a stupid change. I don't like uh, that. Oh, so really it's just funny. him fixing it. Um, it's pretty great. Anyway, um, I like the bit in the critic where they mm. lock the uh, the Velociraptor in a room and they lock it with a key. <laughs> so you can't lock a Velociraptor inside a door; it's too smart. And they see the door, we see a newspaper slide underneath. <laughs> bang, bang, bang! The key falls onto the newspaper. He slides it back, unlocks, charges out. It's still a monster. So great! That's really great. Anyway, the monster is attacking and stuff, and our scientists start doing some actual some actual science. It's pretty great. Such as it is in these kinds of movies. Yeah. Oh, we forgot to mention, when there's one bit that they do here that's actually a different continuity and it establishes this movie as what happened in the last movie kind of vaguely happened. Because yeah. we get a flashback. They didn't, like, find a Frankenstein in the street mm. like they did in the actual last movie. They raised a Frankenstein from a pup. And we see him and he's like, dressed like the you ever see time of the apes that one mst3k episode oh yeah and there's that really annoying kid sidekick ape he mm -hmm. looks like that kid pepe yeah it looks like pepe he's like covered <laughs> in fur and it's kind of annoying mm -hmm. and but that's they're trying to pass it off at oh and the, and they look furry because they always looked furry mm -hmm. and i'm like didn't the last movie come out like two years ago wouldn't people have <laughs> some like memory six months of it? before that it's yeah. probably still playing in some places you can't really okay fine uh, but they do some research. They find tissue samples of uh, of the creature. I really love uh, the one time they um, they're looking for like tissue samples of the creature, and they're looking in like a, a big river. Oh. And uh, one of the scientists like looks in the river, goes, "Look over there!" And there's a tiny piece of green fur uh -huh. in a green lake they next to it. green rocks, and I'm like, eyes. very sharp eyes. Mm -hmm. Eyes like an eagle, I'm telling you. <laughs> like, my God. Yeah, but um, uh, what is carried over from the previous movie as well is that um, 
these Frankensteins mm-hmm. through radiation and through Frankenstein science mm-hmm. uh, can grow back from like a single cell. Basically, like, yeah. Like you can just rip them down to shreds and uh, they can uh, regenerate. Uh, what hadn't been considered before is that they can regenerate like planaria. Like you can cut yeah. one in half and then you have two Frankensteins. And that apparently is what happened over the course of the previous film. That Frank, that first Frankenstein was wounded. God knows we, we hit it a lot. Uh, and a piece of its flesh ended up in at sea. With an octopus? With the octopus. With the octopus. That? Yep. The octopus. So the octopus brought it back. The it's, octopus. All, it's, all link, it's the same octopus. Exactly. So, but this this other green Frankenstein uh, has grown in the ocean, has evolved to like survive in the ocean, and now it is starting to emerge from the ocean depths. The one thing that this, the one weakness that the green Frankenstein has, and you know what? At some point, and this is something else I think they got from Pacific Rim. They just announced on the intercom, "Oh, we've got names for them now. We're just going to call them names." Uh, so we're going to call the uh, brown one Sanda, Sanda. and uh, the green one Gaira. Mm. I think I got that right. Gaira. Gaira. Was, uh... Yeah, Sanda is the good one. I just want to make sure so, I got it right. Yeah, Sanda, Sanda is the brown one, which is yeah. the good one. Okay. And, and Gaira is the green one. Which we is haven't gotten to that one. part yet, but basically, uh, there, so Gaira is starting to attack people. Gaira, like, evolved at the bottom of the sea, so his eyesight isn't very good, and they can, like, distra- like distract him and, bl- and uh, blind him with really bright lights, and mm. that's what they're trying to do. And it looks like, halfway through the movie, it looks like they've got Gaira on the run. We were attacking and, Gaira. And, and just, by the way, that's kind of it for the story. The rest is mostly just monster mayhem. Mostly fighting. Yeah. Uh, which is... The, the monsters fight, or mm. it's... it's I well, think there's more shots of, like, the military in this movie than there are in, in, in any of the previous ones. Yeah. Uh, and... I don't know about, I don't know about I, that. I always but. think those are the most boring parts of these movies yeah. because the, the military never wins. Yeah. You don't bring in a tank. It's like, okay, we're gonna... And the tank fires... Psh, and imagine if Godzilla just <clears throat> died right in that moment. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh. we just needed a tank. It would, this, well, it's a good thing we have a lot. Focusing entirely on the military. There's one scene I really, really love in this movie where the literally the sum total of the entire scene is you look at a map and that a general turns around from the map and looks at the camera and says, this is our base now. And then it cuts away from the scene. That's literally the entire scene. And it made me laugh so hard. But the, if focusing on the military in a kaiju movie like this is like... Um, Imagine if, like, you went to see a Harlem Globetrotters game and mm. they only, like, interviewed or talked to the Washington Generals. <laughs> and you'd be like, why? <laughs> it's not why we're here. They're not going to win. Mm. They, apparently the Washington Generals have won once or twice. I, I think, of, I mean, the Harlem Globetrotters have been around for decades, yeah. so I, I think they have let the Generals win numerous yeah. times. Um in, in a twist, but mostly it's the Globetrotters. But in any case, the military actually has Gaira on the uh, on the run, and the, he's like falling down, ah, falling in the woods, and then all of a sudden, a brown Frankenstein, who we, as we mentioned, his name is Sanda, uh, shows up, and, and he like carries him to safety. He yeah. carries him to safety, and I love the acting on Sanda too, because Sanda like because Gaira is like hurting. And he's like, you know, like wounded and like he's about to, it's it's like he just had the shit kicked out of him in like a wrestling match. Yeah. And then all of a sudden another wrestler shows up and now it's a tag team. And he's just uh, like, hey. Gaira, by the way, is is um, Horo Nakajima, who plays Godzilla. Yeah. Um, but Sanda is an actor I don't know named Yu Sek- Sekida. Yeah. Um, 
haven't haven't seen Yusakita before. I don't think we will again. I don't know. Yusakita actually does a really good job in this scene because there's this he does this wonderful little bit of acting where he like he like puts he like puts himself between the tanks and Gaira. Mm. And then he like looks over at the tanks like he's disappointed in them. Like, you be nice to Gaira. Let's go, buddy. We're, we're go- I mean it. Ridiculous. <laughs> and he just walks off. And they fuck off together, and everyone's deeply confused, because now there are two monsters. And of course the military is like, oh, there's two monsters. I guess we gotta kill them both. And the scientists are like, um, should we really be shooting at them, or trying to blow them up, considering that literally every piece that falls off their body is gonna turn into another giant Frankenstein? And they kind of just say, they, they just hand wave it away. Well, I guess that could happen, but whatever, we'll do it anyway. That moment right there, where they talk about the possibility of, like, an army of giant Frankensteins, is apparently something that helped inspire the incredibly popular anime Attack on Titan. Which is about a future in which humanity lives in these walled-off cities because certain people have grown to gigantic size and now they're just wandering. They are eat monsters. They're just wandering around eating people and they're just... ah. Um, So you're welcome, War of the Gargantuas. The more I learn about Attack on Titan, it's like the the weirder it seems. It's a very strange show. Um, It has a lot of fans. Um, I've seen some of it. I know. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Anyway, now they're now the scientists are like, well, Sonda's a good guy, so we, we gotta at least save Sonda. And they're like, No, we're gonna kill them all. And they're like, Ah, oh, goddammit. So they're, and, they're and Sonda is is a caring soul. Yes. And he, wants to look after people. He, and you get the impression just based off of um just just the physical acting, because you know, they're wearing these like really thick masks that don't allow for like a lot of like facial articulation, so it's mostly done in body language. Um, you really get the impression that Sonda's like, oh, another one of me. I'm not so lonely anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like when Data met Lore and thought everything was going to be nice now, and then he yeah. found out Lore was a shithead. So he's, like, caring for Gaira, and our scientists are trying to, like, look for them in the woods, and they see, like, a bunch of hippies just walking through the woods, and they're like, don't they care that there's a monster? Nah, kids aren't scared of stuff. Not in the 60s. So they're like, they're just gonna be cool, and everything will be nice. And then Gaira's like, ah! And they're like, ah, no! And then... The the best moment in this whole movie for me, and there's a lot of good moments in it, there's a moment where we cut to Gaira and he looks like he's sleeping it off. Like he's just like he's like leaned up against a mountain mm. and he's like kind of asleep. And so then Sonda like an easy chair position. Yeah. yeah. And then Sonda shows up and he like comes in like from the back and he's like, ah, bum, bum, bum. And he looks at Gaira and then he looks to Gaira's left and he sees like bloody human clothes. Uh-huh. And he and, and he you freaks can, out. He freaks out. He's like, You have eaten of the flesh! <laughs> You're an abomination! Yeah, whatever, man. And he tries to like yell people. at him in Frankenstein speak, like, ah! And Gaira's like, ah! And Sonda's like, no! And so Gaira's like, but come on! <laughs> but at this point, even Sonda realizes that Gaira is bad and must be mm. taken down. And it all sets the stage for a really, really 
really big fight. And I gotta really tell you long something. Fight. It's a yeah, long it fight, like, but I th- but, but it, I think they do a good job. I think they do a good job for a couple of reasons. Um, one one thing this movie does, and I think it's really mm-hmm. smart, is that the human story is directly connected to the monster. Nothing's ancillary. Mm. Not, so when the monsters start fighting, the human's like, oh, we have to save ourselves, or oh no, we have to stop this guy who ran this amusement park or foil this diamond heist. The humans are saying, we have to help Sonda. Yeah. So they're actually like involved in the whole mm. story. So cutting but, but away from the monsters, it still el- feels like we're watching the same film. That's an element from... Frankenstein Conquers the World as well, though. That's yeah, an- another plot I'm, point they're kind of lifting off. I'm not saying where the Gargantuas uh, is the first one to do this. The uh, Mothra movies did this pretty well yeah. as well. Uh, um, but I, when I noticed, I noticed that when the movies don't do this, hmm. it can become a bit of a slog at times as the movie sometimes thinks we're more interested in parts than we really are. Okay. Whereas if everything's kind of interconnected, it feels just tighter. More easily, more interestingly mm-hmm. constructed, and so that the uh, one of the scientists is like really loves Sonda. She like kind of raised him, and she wants to protect him and help him as best she can. And so when she's like running to try to help Sonda and rest ambulance, just like you know, that's probably really stupid, and we're gonna die, right? And she's like, "Yeah, I'm doing it anyway." He's like, <laughs> "All right." So they go. Um, that part's great. Gaira tries to attack her. Sonda is like really mad about it. This is like we haven't had a lot of giant monster fights in an urban area yet. Mm. Usually, it's out in the mountains somewhere. Yeah, or it's, if it, it is, or in the rocks. So you, yeah. Sets that are easier to construct. Yeah. Exactly. So this one, it's actually like a pretty ambitious set. They're mm. really wrecking buildings yeah, and pu- things, yeah, pushing each other into buildings. And uh, I think that makes it more exciting. There's, there's a, a. I was talking earlier about sort of the scale of the monsters, and uh, there's a really wonderful shot when um, Russ Tamblin and the other lead actress. Um, oh, look her up, sorry. Who, yeah, I should, should, have, should have had her name, but... Um, it's okay. It's uh, she, Dr. Akimi Tagawa. She's played by Kumi Mitsuno. Kumi, Kumi Mitsuno and Russ Tamblin yeah. are, are stuck in... It, it, lo- it looks like the entrance to a subway, and we actually, like, mm. they look up a stairwell, and they see mm. Frankenstein's foot just standing outside. And yeah. she wants to run to Frankenstein, and then yeah. they're like, well, actually, there's nothing I can do. I can't, like hang on to his toe I wouldn't notice yeah but uh the fact that we're, we're sort of seeing the scale of the humans on one set mm-hmm. and the monster right next to the same set like that's yeah. something we haven't gotten a lot of visual dynamic on in some of these kaiju films so no, I, it's, I, it's a simple shot but i really it adds a lot there's a lot more a lot there's the a lot more area. effort going into little moments like that by the way one little funny bit about kumi mitsuno uh kumi mitsuno played the same character in uh Frankenstein vs. Baragon, Frankenstein Conquers the World. Mm. Except in the first film, she was uh, Dr. Sueko, uh, Sueko Tagami. Uh-huh. And in this one, she's Dr. Akami Tagawa. Akami Tagawa, yeah. So, same character, different name, and same actress. And it's Kumi Mizuno, not Mitsuno. Again, it's sorry, but... different letter. I keep, I keep wanting to say Z the Italian Z, way. So that's Z, a... Z and, and Tsu are two different letters. I know, and, and I keep wanting to say it like pizza. You know, like yeah, I'm, right, I'm an Italian, yeah. that's what I do. Uh, so whoops, Mitsuno. It's yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I imagine the Super Mario Brothers. See what the right flair sounds Italian. Exactly. So that, that's just me. It's a quirk of my how I was learned to talk, and I apologize for that. Um, so yeah, Gaira and Sonda kick the shit out of each other. Oh yeah, and, it's a real knockdown, and I think it helps that because they're not in a giant rubber suit, they're actually like have a lot more mobility. 
Uh, it, they have it, a lot more uh, possibilities for fight choreography. Yeah, at, at worst, because they, they have to wear these sort of like outsized, they're almost like football shoulder pads yeah. that they cover with fur to make them look bigger. And, yeah. and so, yeah, their body language reads a lot better. It helps quite greatly that mm. they have like human looking faces. Yeah. They're they're coated in makeup. They have like sort of the the mm-hmm. outsized cheeks and gigantic heads and uh you know these kind of like big fake mouths with teeth, but they look like people, so that mm-hmm. it makes them a lot more expressive yeah. than those sort of like rubber puppet heads that the, sometimes they'd have a close up on with Godzilla. And it's also cool in this one, and and we really they they really put some effort in here. Um, over the course of the film, they take battle damage. If you recall action figures, like when, when a lot of us were kids, uh, they started getting this new cool thing where your action figures would have battle damage. And like sometimes they would like have like a wound like carved into the model or maybe you could like if you got them wet, all of a sudden it looked like they'd like gotten like slashed across the chest or something. Mm-hmm. Over time, Gaira and Sonda like get cut and like it looks like their their costumes are bleeding and stuff like that and it... It kind of helps make him feel real, a little less goofy. Um, one thing we, we 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 mentioned briefly, but we really didn't talk enough about it. Uh, there is the, a lot of these blockbustery kind of kaiju movies. These like broadly entertaining uh, movies. They want to entertain in a variety of different ways. We've had a movie that was ostensibly about a giant space. Jellyfish. Mm. Dogara. Yeah, and but it was also a heist movie with, you know, cartoon gangsters out of Dick Tracy. I, I, I really appreciate that movie. So, they, they, they took some big swings. I did. That was fun. Uh, but sometimes, as we saw in Mothra as well, um, they want to put in a musical number. You know, I want to be just like, ah, this, guy, this movie's got everything. The musical number we have here, we just cut to like a rooftop bar. And people are just sort of milling around. No no characters we even know. Just all of a sudden we're at this bar. And then a woman gets up on yeah. stage and she sings uh, uh, a song like, uh, what was it called? Like, The Words Get Stuck in My Throat. Yeah. You know uh, that song? No, I don't know that the song. The Words Get Stuck in My Throat? It's, it's an old standard. Devo did a cover of it. Devo did a cover, I think, because of this movie. Yeah, I'm sure. You, you know that 16-year-old yeah. Mark Mothersbaugh was, like, eating popcorn and watching this movie while he's noodling around on his synthesizer. Yeah, I, listen, I don't... Was that really an old standard? I, guess I do no memory of that, because I remember thinking to myself... But the, the words of Gargant- get stuck in my throat. Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking to myself, there's a love theme to the War of the Gargantuas, and it sucks. Like, I actually, like, I kind of hated the song. And the song is so... The lyrics are so silly. Hmm. I wanted them to be sung with, like, wit and amusement. Because they're kind of joke lyrics, a lot of them. And Hmm. this woman's just kind of belting them. And I'm like, you're not going to get discovered this way. This is not how, like, an agent's going to hear this in the background and be like... Well, this person doesn't really know how to play this song at all, do they? They're quite terrible at this. Oh, you know what? It the the song did originate in this movie. Okay, I'm not I th- crazy. I thought it predated this movie, but I no. Uh, it's the love theme from the War of the Gargantuas, and one of my and, favorite. And Devo did do a cover. Yeah, uh, and it also showed up in like a, a Scooby Doo movie. They sang yeah. it in that one too. So I, I was Again, under the impression weird that influences that <laughs> like the song predated the movie, and it sort mm-hmm. of wandered its way through. War of the Gargantuas mm-hmm. and Devo, but no. One of my favorite here. like weird subgenres of music is love themes to movies that don't need one. Oh. Like um, the love theme from Con Air 
is a hugely popular song, and most people would be surprised to learn it was in Con Air. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's like, what, that was from Con Air? That was playing in my orthodontist's office for forever. Yeah. But that's the love <laughs> theme from Con Air. There was a love theme to the uh, Sylvester Stallone movie Daylight. They gave out singles at screenings. Well, th- those are, that was a big hit. Remember uh, something Daylight like, was um, not. No, I mean, that, that practice, I should say, yeah. was really common in the 1990s, especially, mm-hmm. where they'd have sort of a love ballad over the credits. Armageddon, don't uh, want to miss ar- a yeah, thing. Ar- Armageddon, yeah. didn't, and that was up for an Oscar, if I recall. I think that was up for an Oscar. Like, Diane Warren uh, did most of them. Right. And, and she still doesn't want an Oscar. And, and I recall, and this drove me nuts, uh, yeah. they would have, like, every of the uh, animated films to come out of Disney Studios... Mm-hmm. Uh, each of those was a musical, and they all had like a love ballad, you know, mm-hmm. "Kiss Pretty the Girl" all, yeah. or "A Whole New World" from Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they would have a different rendition of the same song yeah, I hate that. over the credits, and it was like the most insufferable, terrible piece of music you've ever heard. Mm-hmm. When I just I heard Angela Lansbury sing it, and it was fine. Yeah, why is it terrible here? No, that's how I felt when they like. I remember the when they did Frozen. Mm. It was like. You had the incomparable Adele Dazeem <laughs> well sing. <laughs> thank you. Uh, no, you, you had um... Adina Menzel. Was oh my name. God! I thank you, <laughs> John Travolta. You ruined it. Adina Menzel, one of the great singers of our time. I, I, she I love sang. That he, came sh- back, he came back and they made a point so he could say it correctly the next year at the next Oscars. Yeah, it was it's nice. Like... But um, but seriously, uh, Adina Menzel kills the song let it go like she just murders it on screen she just totally dominates that's an incredible performance that song rules it's overplayed but it rules it's a very very good piece of music and it works in the film she plays it great then they just put out a pop song version and i'm like that's not the version anyone likes best no one's like hey let's listen was it demi lovato Oh, I th- yeah, I think, so. I think it was Demi Lovato. Yeah. Right, yeah, like yeah. And then it's like, oh, let's listen. Let's listen to Let It Go. No, 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 no. The Lovato version. <laughs> what? what? No, no, no. We're not doing that. No one's doing that. Maybe at three a.m. on Radio Disney, like they, they do it. <laughs> Who um, left the toys out? Who? Who? I was so Who? embarrassed. They, they would play like the original versions, and then they changed yeah. like Disney-fied lyrics after a while. Yeah, when parents caught wind that they were like, like playing like songs. M- Mambo Number Five have... is about like drinking mm. and going out with ladies. R- remember when the, they they uh, released the Tigger movie, and mm. the theme song in all of the commercials was "Semi Charmed Life" because it has this kind of cute hook. That song is about crystal meth. Yeah, it is. That song is literally about crystal meth. And they made it about the, the adorable tiger from Winnie the Pooh. And I love that. <laughs> That's so wonderfully insidious and dark. Um, but I, I was just looking up Kip Hamilton, who is the singer in War of Gargantua. Yeah, is, is, is she someone I should know? Uh, no. Um, okay. I mean, she, she was around. She was in a couple movies. She was in movies like mm. The Unforgiven from 1960. Um, mm. Good Morning, Miss Dave. From 1955, and she did a lot of TV. She was in episodes of, like, Mickey Spillane and Perry Mason. She was in 77 Sunset Strip. Um, she retired in the mid-60s. Uh, she died in the, the mid-80s in her mm. mid-40s. She had breast that's, cancer, oh, which that's is terrible. tragic. That's uh, she, unfortunate. She's buried nearby in Culver City. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, you know, she was a working actress and singer. Sure. Who had had a, a little bit of a career. And I think, you know, as far as cult audiences are concerned, this is sort of the high, high watermark for her because she gets to uh, get killed by a giant Frankenstein monster after singing this mo- this song that Devo would end up covering. Mm-hmm. 
It's a hell of a... It's a hell of a thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, the monsters fight. They fight a lot. I really like the shot of Gaira, like, because Gaira is kind of like the Submariner. Like, occasionally he has to like recharge in water, so he's like he runs from the forest where Sando is keeping him, and he sees the ocean. And I love that he runs to the ocean like a little kid, mm-hmm. like wee's arms akimbo, like he's super excited. It's really cute. Uh, the monsters kick the crap out of each other, uh, and. Instead of just Sanda winning, which would have been fine because Sanda's the hero, uh-huh. uh, and our heroes are trying to help Sanda. They're even saying, like, they're being interviewed by the press, and it's like, oh, they're going to kill Gaira. Yes, but we should save Sanda so we can perform experiments on him. And I'm like... They actually mm-hmm. say that. So yeah. shouldn't we save one so we can perform, perform experiments? experiments on him? Like, mm. So really, Sanda, they both end up being defeated. Murder them all amid laughter and merriment, (laughs) except for the few we take home to experiment. (laughs) Uh, They both end up being defeated by an underwater volcano that just happened to erupt that day. Hmm. Yeah. Which is almost as anticlimactic as the octopus. But at least the octopus was weird. At least the octopus was like, why is there a giant octopus now? In the last 60 seconds of the film. A volcano is just, oh. <laughs> and an underwater one, too. Kind of half-assed it. Mm. Anyway, lunch, and then the movie ends, basically. <laughs> yeah. The no. movie just basically just kind of fucks off and um, ends. From what I understand, because we, we saw the version on the Criterion Channel you mentioned, yeah. which is the English language version, um, it was the longer cut. Yeah. There was more fighting in this version. So I mm. guess the whoever edited the movie for American release thought that Americans could stand... More monster fight. And you know what? I feel like... I can't stand more monster fight. You know what? I feel like... Because, you know, we we have the rhythm of these movies now. We've seen a bunch of them now. Mm. And they're rarely, like, more than 92 minutes. Yeah. They're usually pretty They're hovering around 90 minutes, Yeah. yeah. You can tell. You can tell there's a rhythm to these movies that has clearly been interrupted because I, it, this was the first time I was seeing like these two monsters wailing on each other, thinking, this is going on a bit long, isn't it? <laughs> the, this part of the fight, oh, oh, this is the restored version. Thank you, AMC. Uh, so uh, I, I feel like could have been a little briefer in that last a stretch. A minute short. Listen, they, didn't, they didn't need all, like, e- even, even two minutes can make a world of difference. I, I don't disagree. I understand how pace it works. I'll a frame. Can make a can make a scene feel weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't think it would, but then add one in just at the end of like a random scene, you'll be like, "I felt kind of off." Cut that frame, hmm. like you can tell. Um, I was with it because I think the actual fighting is more interesting than it often is. A lot of the fighting that we've had in other monster fight movies has been very lumbering, yeah. very slow. And I think when that gets extended, it kind of feels like death. Mm-hmm. Here, they were at, there was actually, like, they were picking up props and, like, using them as weapons. They mm-hmm. were getting into the water and, like, trying to drown yeah. each other. Like, there's, there's actual, like, it, variety to the fight. Well, the, there's only... The fact of the matter uh, is that there's only so much you can do with fight choreography with a Godzilla suit. I know. Um, and there's a lot of fun things you can do. You know, mm-hmm. Godzilla's got a tail and nuclear breath and is very good at ping pong. We will soon learn. Um, That's... <laughs> Ebera, the horror of the deep, oh, has a fuck ton of 
ping pong. There's going to be a lot of rock batting around. Godzilla fights a giant lobster. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, but but I agree with you. I'm just saying they took advantage of not having Godzilla this time. Yeah. And actually, like, well, let's just really have them wail on each other and let's actually have some interesting fight choreography. And it it goes on longer than usual, but there's also times when I'm watching these movies and I feel like... They kind of shortchange the monster fight a little bit, and I feel like here they're just making up for lost time. Mm. So, um, yeah, I appreciate this movie. I actually, I can see why this movie is genuinely rather popular. Like, people, like, are influenced by this movie. It's influenced popular media. It's influenced musical acts that people love. This was apparently the first movie that, I don't, this doesn't really mean anything, but it's, it's weird trivia. According to Brad Pitt, this was the first movie he ever saw. <laughs> it's the first movie Brad Pitt's. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, when, yeah, when, again, that doesn't really explain anything, but it's just sort of like this movie got under the skin of popular culture in the way that Dolgaran didn't. Yeah, it's got like a weird influence on a lot of stuff that people really, really like. A lot of filmmakers mm. that people really like, and watching it and seeing that like Ishiro Honda was getting a bit more visually inventive. Uh, there's a lot of like. Really takes advantage of some of the opportunities uh, that are afforded to him by having you know different kinds of monster suits. We're seeing different visual effects. We're actually seeing a lot more like interesting like light sculpting in the cinematography. There's some really pretty looking scenes. There's just a scene between like Russ Tamblin and his assistant in a hotel room when he like opens up the curtains and you see that fake model of Tokyo. And I'm actually looking. at him like, this looks pretty. Like <laughs> some of the some of the Godzilla movies look really good. Some of them don't, but we're getting, you know, cinema evolves over time. What people like to like, how people like to light scenes changes over time. And in a long running franchise, you can see that change happening. Like, I argue, we've mentioned this before, like we like to think of like movies, you know, eras of movies being very conveniently packed into like a decade. Oh, that's a 70s movie. But it takes a few years for a whole new decade style to properly coalesce. So the first few years of the 1980s, movies are still being shot like they were in the 70s. -hmm. I argue that the changeover between the 70s and the 80s, I don't have the exact date, but I can tell you between which two movies it happens. Friday the 13th, part 3D, and Friday the 13th, the final chapter. It's between those two (laughs) films, came out like about a year apart, Final chapter looks like an 80s movie. Uh, night, Part night, 3D looks like a 70s movie. Everything uh, broke open into the 80s in, I think, 84. Yeah. Um, the aesthetic yeah. had solidified by 84, I think. Yeah, and like, we're still seeing... Like things were getting slicker, and yeah. you can go to, like, um, uh, Scott Mance was recently part of a documentary series called The, the Great Greatest Geek Year Ever. Yeah. And it was all about 1982, mm. because that was the year of... Uh, Star Trek Two and the Thing and E. T. and a lot Superman of Superman Two was that year. Superman as well. Two, yeah. um, wasn't a Star Wars that year. No, uh, no, Star Wars was eighty three, I think. Yeah. But eighty two, we also had um, Blade Runner. We had the Thing. No, I, I said the Thing, but yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but yeah. Pol- so Poltergeist was around that time too. Yeah, like it's so a, big a, lo- year. a lot of these uh, sort of hit genre movies started to come out. These really special effects heavy movies, and those movies all look really slick. But I think once you get to eighty four. It's like, we're past the point of no return. We're Mm -hmm. not making these sort of heady adult dramas from the 1970s after that. It's all big special effects-based commercial entertainment. But I'm not even talking about content. I'm just talking about the way that they're filmed, like Mm -hmm. the lighting, the color of the film stock that they were using. There's just a very different aesthetic Mm -hmm. 
And again, if you watch a film franchise, one that like evolves over time, you're going to notice the aesthetics changing. These early Godzilla movies, mm-hmm. like the first Godzilla, black and white, feels way more like a 50s movie. And now we're like really entrenched in the 70s. There's really bright, colorful six, pop. Six, sorry, six, 1960s. Yeah. Bright, colorful, popping colors. And, you know, over time, Godzilla movies will look really, really different from this. And I'm just, I, I'm amused to see it kind of happening gradually, mm-hmm. you know, just to see like, oh, the lighting is a little different now. And they're kind of getting a little bit more ambitious with their cinematography. This is all kind of cool. So, yeah, I like the War of the Gargantuas. I think I like Frankenstein Conquers the World a little better just because it's even weirder, at <laughs> least in terms of its plot. Uh-huh. But um, this is a hoot. This is a hoot. I'm glad I finally watched this. And uh, these characters do eventually interact with Godzilla in a future comic book. So this isn't... Uh, our initial plan was just to cover this because well, it was a sequel to uh, Frankenstein versus Baragon because Baragon is in Destroy All yeah. Monsters. But uh, Sanda and Gaira end up in a Godzilla comic later on. So it's all connected. Yeah. Uh, Wendy, what is, our, what is our Godzilla movie? We're actually going to have a Godzilla movie next week. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a, a bit of Horror of the Deep, I believe. Yeah, um, it is. is... Uh, this, is the, this is one of the Godzilla... I forget if they did more than one. This was actually an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, mm. where I believe it was called Godzilla vs. the, versus Godzilla the Sea Monster. Versus right? the Sea Monster. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I know this from. I've actually never seen it without MST3K. Oh, so interesting. So this should be right. interesting for me to just sort of watch this movie on its own merits. Some movies, we've, we even did like an iron list about this, like the best movies MST3K ever lampooned. Mm. Because uh, be- there are some good ones. Sometimes so. they, sometimes, I mean, but, uh, they might be good on a different scale than you're used to, but they've lampooned some good movies. Mm. And some of them you can absolutely watch and enjoy without an MST3K commentary track. Some of them you can't. Mm. Manos the Hands of Fate is a tough sit. <laughs> Santa Claus oh. Conquers the Martians is actually one of the most boring movies I've ever seen in my life. I remember, uh, I think I've told this story before, but you and I got to interview Joel Hodgson, oh, the creator of Mystery Science was. Theater. And uh, he, we were saying to him, because this was when they rebooted it for Netflix. Yeah, it was right around that and, time. Uh, and there were a couple movies that they were covered, that they were lampooning, mm-hmm. that they were riffing on, that you and I were kind of fond of, including Star Crash. I think Star Crash was, uh, was the prime offender there, yeah. yeah. I, I'm fond of Star Crash. I yeah. like Star Crash. It's, it's this, a Star Wars knockoff. It's a very the, just, Euro sleaze, yeah. kind of cheesy Star uh, Star Wars knockoff. But the visual effects are neat. It's very yeah. colorful. There's some stop-motion animation yeah, it's in it. Fun. Uh, it's fun. It's not afraid to be Plummer's sexy. It. Yeah. I mean, it's a silly movie, but they knew it, yeah. and they made a silly, fun movie. And, and then they, they riff on it. It's like, this yeah. is a terrible movie. And so we... Took Joel Hodgson to task. We a said, little bit. This, this is a pretty good movie. What? What? Yeah. Why? What? Why do you choose Star Crash? And he just sort of looked at us and said, "Guys, <laughs> no, there's no Star, accounting for taste. You don't need to defend Star Crash." And he like, said it like over the years, people said, "Well, what about this movie?" No, these are all terrible. <laughs> listen, listen. And Joel Hodgson is entitled to his opinion, mm. and that's totally fair. And you know, you and I disagree about what a good movie is mm. sometimes, and so. That's totally, totally fine, but it should be interesting to see whether Ibira Horror of the Deep is one of those ones that actually does hold up. Because I remember yeah. watching MST3K going, this actually doesn't seem very good. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Well, keep in mind, when they did uh, those, when they riffed on the monster films, the Gamera films and the yeah. one Godzilla film they did, um, they got, like, the TV version. Mm-hmm. 
that, and that was the the shtick with Mystery Science Theater. They were raiding the vault of like the local public access station that had this pile of movies yeah. that they clearly just bought for cheap they had, that they could run all night. They had the right yeah. to distribute them or show them on yeah. television. They didn't necessarily have the right to, sh- to put them on home video or anything like that, which is why yeah. a lot of them weren't available for a long time. But yeah. Yeah, so... Th- and this was just TV history. A lot of local stations, yeah. a lot of networks would get uh, movies in these big packages yeah. from uh, distributors for TV broadcasts. There's probably only a handful that you really, really want. But in order to get those, they said, OK, but you got to get these the- other 100 movies. Yeah, and so like- they would find excuses to show these. Sometimes they would run them all night and you'd stay up late. Maybe you're out drinking with your mm-hmm. friends. You come home, you're a little drunk still. And you turn on the TV to wind down, and you see these really bizarre, sudden, terrible movies. Robot and, monster, what and, the fuck is this? And yeah, and you yeah. and your buddies are up late, and you start joking. Lo, that's Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the movies they got were American dubs of these Japanese movies. There were a lot of yeah. you know, Mexican films that were dubbed into English. And those were drastically recut. Yeah. Not just by American distributors, but you know they were put in a, a, a pillar boxing. Mm-hmm. Where they they just sort of mat it for television, and then they yeah. cut it for time for to make it fit in like the American TV time slots. Yeah. So you're seeing this really bastardized version of the movie by the time Mystery Science Theater fair. got to which it, which is fair. And that's the version they're riffing on, and that yeah. could be a much different film experience. You're not wrong. Than seeing the version that's on the Criterion Channel, which is you know, bothering to clean it up. <laughs> to, be, yeah. to be fair, not everything on the Criterion Channel is, is also good. That's well, the, the, <laughs> they, fair. Just because you're historically significant doesn't mean you're is, actually good. Point is, for the most part, they're yeah. taking care of the movies and they're trying to yeah. show complete versions of the movies. True. Uh, I, I find it telling that we saw uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World and, uh, and also War of the Gargantuas. We've seen the longest available versions of both of these. Yeah. Uh, one which has that really bizarre ending with, with the, the octopus, octopus in yeah. it, which was not the mo- most common version. Mm. And now we've seen the American version of War of the Gargantuas, mm. which I think they only included that because it's the longer version. It has a few extra minutes of footage. Yeah. Save every precious second. Of War of the Gargantuas. Of War of the Gargantuas. That was For historical very, posterity. That was, that was Criterion Channel. Anyway. Um, anyway. That is it for Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, I've mentioned this in a couple of weeks, but um, uh, if you are, uh, if you want to follow along, you can head on over to my Letterboxd page, which is just under my name, William Bibiani, and there's a section there that actually is all of the movies we're covering in order. Uh, and if you want to follow along, you want to feel like what's maybe what's up a couple of weeks from now so you can get ahead of the game, that's over there. If you want to email us, talk about anything we discussed in this episode, you absolutely can. It's super easy to do. Uh, send us an email at letters at criticallyacclaimed.net or, if you'd prefer, we have a P.O. box. You can send us a piece of physical mail. Our P.O. box is Whitney. Uh, send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. If you want to listen to the next episode of Thank Godzilla, It's Friday right now, you can head on over to our Patreon page. Our patrons not only get our new episodes ads-free, but they also get episodes of Thank Godzilla, It's Friday one week early. So if you want to hear our episode about Edward Horror of the Deep, and if you're not listening to it on Patreon already... You can hear that episode right now over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We also have a lot of exclusive shows over there. We recently did a commentary track for The Exorcist. Rest in peace, William Friedkin. Um, we do hangouts. i got a trivia night coming up. It's a lot of fun, and we're just very, very, very grateful to all of our patrons, without whom this show would not be possible. 
So thank you again. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for loving Godzilla as much as we do. And rar. <laughs>